0: the opinions expressed on the ACB media network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the blind its elected officials or its staff right that was quite a quite a musical intro I've never I've never had such a great intro coming into my section here before so thank you all for being here and uh, it's been a Absolutely. Wonderful lunch here today. And uh, of course, I've got a couple minutes here. So, you know, I think I've got time for a joke. What do you guys think? Should I tell a joke? (laughs) Sure. Absolutely. So, so uh, did you guys hear about the coach who lost some money in a vending machine? He wants his quarterback. Have we heard that before somewhere? (laughs) Anybody was here yesterday. That joke appeared again yesterday. And I told it a few years ago at Sagebrush. So it's back around so so uh artists do we want to give away a prize right I'm off the sure, bat here sure. okay what, what do you suggest we uh do for a prize here today
1: we got a, um some cookies here from Hawaii.
0: okay so how about uh we do a contest where maybe um who traveled the closest distance for the convention today hey. ah jim okay so we got a prize for Jim, and we've got another one that we'll do at the end of our end of our session here today. If you so. got money,
1: I'll take it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, it, it is truly my honor and privilege to have with us today Deb Cook Lewis. She's our first vice president of ACB, and uh, she's uh, ready to give a great presentation today. So, Deb, with that, we'll turn. Let's give a hand for Deb, and we'll turn it over to you. Thank you, Deb.
2: I might get a little bit of interruption because we have um, some uh, other tracks going on in other places, and I'm supposed to make sure they happen. (laughs) And it's a little bit tricky, (laughs) Um, believe me. So, first of all, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me to come. I can't actually imagine why you would want to do that, but I really appreciate it. And my husband said to tell you he appreciates it because he knows there's at least one time I'm going to sit down and eat a meal, and he was glad to hear that that might happen. So, he really appreciates that I'm here as well. I thought a little bit about what to chat with you about today, and um, and it's it is kind of a challenge to think of new things to say to to groups. You know, I think it's funny. Um, back, back in the day, <clears throat> a couple years ago, I said um, it would be really neat if I ever became like an ACB officer or something. It'd be great to be able to go around to different affiliates, state affiliates and special interest affiliates and meet them and see how they do and get acquainted with them and all the things that would um, happen. And I just think that's all super duper. Um, And then, you know, the um, pandemic came along and we were all in zoom and I was Go into an affiliate every week. And one of the challenges with that, it was great. I really, I really have gotten to know a lot of the different affiliates doing this. And I and I love it. But one of the challenges of it is that when you're on Zoom, of course everybody can come to everybody's presentation. And so everything you say has been already heard, right? And so it's really, really a challenge to come up with what to kind of talk about that that hasn't already been said a hundred times. And so I thought that you know people say, well, you know, talk about talk about leadership, talk about um, the kinds of experiences you had um, as a person and as a blind person, and, and those kinds of things. And I and they always want to hear your rising. St- Star story. I wasn't even sure if I could get that said. That's a hard tongue twister. Um, But they always, that's what they want to hear. You know, they want to hear the story about how, oh, I did this and it was wonderful and I did this and it was wonderful and I did this and it was wonderful. Well, I actually think that my best story is about the things that I did that weren't wonderful. And I always think that the things that encourage me most are the things that sort of went wrong for people that they got out of. So I thought I'd share um, a few of those personal stories with you. And they're not really downers. They're actually mostly pretty funny, I think. But, um, but a couple of things that I want to share before I do that, just to kind of give you the sense of things with me, the way I sort of work um, I like, I like, um, I like data. I, um, my primary role here for um, ACB looks like it's managing Zoom, but it's actually managing a lot of data. And um, we, and we manage, um, you know, all of that. This, this weekend, uh, well, this, this, um, between yesterday, from what, yesterday to Wednesday is really my, no, you guys can't do that right now. Go away. Um so, um, I'll, uh, basically, the um, the issue that that we um, that that we find is that with data is that you know when you when you do data you do data all the time. So I when I moved to our current location, which is um, Clarkston, Washington, which is a little teeny suburb of Lewiston, Idaho. And I don't know what Lewiston, Idaho is a suburb of. Um, People always tell me it's a suburb of Spokane, but I would like to argue against that. Thank you very much. You can't be 100 miles away and have no resources from Spokane and be in a suburb of Spokane. So (laughs) it's not going to work for me. But anyway, when I moved to this little burg, I had to find a few things about it that were interesting. And the most interesting piece of data that I found about Clarkston, Washington, is that it has the highest zip code in the contiguous 48 states. No, I'm not kidding. And and um. And I, um, I I don't even remember how I figured that out. I mean, it wasn't like something that somebody really told me. It was something that I just figured out. I think it was that I looked up its zip code and we were moving there. And I said, well, I wonder what zip codes are higher. I mean, it's a big zip code. It's 99403. I wonder who's got 99404 because it's not any of the places right around me. I don't, you know, I was looking and I was like, who's got that? So, you know, um, I am um, I'm a significant Googler and um, and basically I. Um, decided that I, I would you know, research this and figure it out. So I did, and I, and I have absolutely verified that it's the case. So um, it's the highest zip code in the 48 contiguous states. Um, the, other, the other bizarre thing about me is that um, I am usually a planner, and, um, and I'm very organized until I'm not. And so this is in my sort of failures department kind of leads us into that. My first trip to Omaha. So people have said, oh, you know, to any of us, they'll say, well, have you ever been to Omaha before? Oh, yeah, I've been to Omaha before. (laughs) I remember this really well. It was a wonderful trip. and, And it turned out fabulously. But the uh, Omaha, the Nebraska Commission for the Blind had asked me to come and make a presentation to them on employment and technology. This was back when employment and technology were just getting together. So I think it was in the late 80s. And we had um, email and things, but we didn't have it like we do now. We didn't have it on our phones. We didn't have it, you know, everywhere, 24-7. And I was getting ready to fly to Omaha. And somehow I left the office without the items that I needed for the where I'm staying, the hotel, you know, that stuff. So no problem. Someone was going to be picking me up at the airport. This would be just fine. I will be able to bluff my way through this Without any difficulty, and bluffing is really important to me. That is absolutely one of the most important characteristics of leadership: is fake it till you whatever. Don't it you don't even have to make it; just keep faking it. And I believe fundamentally, and I really do believe this, that if you say it with conviction, you can usually get it, you know, taken care of that way. So we're on our way to Omaha. It's a lovely trip. They announced just as we're getting ready to arrive in Omaha that it's foggy here and we can't land and we're going to take you to Lincoln. And now that's not too far away, except it's getting late at night. We're going to take you to Lincoln and we're going to bust you all back to Omaha. All right. Well, that's nice. So they do. And it's now the middle of the night because you know how things are with airlines. They Even back in the late 80s, they couldn't figure out how to get a bus out there to get us quickly. So none of this happens fast. So it's probably one or two in the morning now. And we are in Omaha at the airport. And and by this time, we've all been on the bus together. We're all friends. And that's good. And so my friends asked me, what hotel are you going to? I have no clue. And now I'm going to have to admit this. So I said, well, I have a, I have a problem. <laughs> and, and so everybody, of course, um, got a good chuckle at my expense about my problem. But we did work. We did decide on a solution. We decided that I would go to a hotel that was really near the airport. and And we told our airport personnel what I was doing and everything. And um, sure enough, at at uh, in about another hour at the hotel where I was, I actually got a call from the person who would have come and got me at the airport, <laughs> who had been trying to figure out what happened to me. Uh, um, I mean, they knew about the fog, but they didn't know when I was getting back in and everything. And then I hadn't come to the airport, so they were panicking. But anyway, it all turned out well. But it's kind of like, you know, those things that you do that you don't really figure out. So I... Um, As I think back over my history and I think about things that would be of interest to you, one of them is that I was recruited for and I turned down the opportunity to be in the business enterprise program. And that was probably a mistake on my part because I think I'm actually pretty good at many of the things that I think would be required to be successful in the program. But I had this plan for going to four years of college and getting an entry level job somewhere. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, you want to you want to follow the path you think, and so it's too bad. But I um, I actually had gone to a summer rehab program. Um, between my junior and senior year in high school, and I was pretty rowdy kid. I was in trouble most of the time. And so it was a total shock to my system that a few weeks after I got home from the program, the head of the business enterprise program, who I respected a lot, actually, um, but who, who actually called me up and said, we observed you all summer and you are just what we're looking for. <laughs> but I, I didn't do it. And I'm sorry that I didn't, because I think it's a, it's a, um, it is a great program and, um, has brought a lot of employment, um, to people with a uh, vision loss. And I just think that that's, um, really, really significant, but I think, um, my first um, encounter with anything related to um, sort of employment things and uh, discrimination was when I was in high school. Um, I was um, in college, I was an, um, a music major. I majored in organ performance and minored in voice. And <clears throat> I, I don't really do either of those things too much now, but, but I did in those days. And I aspired to have a um, a, a good opportunity with, um, you know, playing for um, churches that many, many large churches paid their organists. And um, I decided I wanted to do that. And so my organ teacher had a lot of those connections, and he made some of those connections for me. And I was... Um, offered a job. But when they found out that I was blind, they wanted to pay me half what they were going to have paid me otherwise. And this was my first experience with actually somebody, you know, doing something that would be entirely discriminatory. And this was in the early 70s. So it wasn't really, uh, or late 60s, rather, actually, it was about 69. So it wasn't really like a situation where you would have... um, you know, the ADA or something in your favor. But we um, worked through that process and and got it resolved. And I discovered that playing for all kinds of things um, pays well. And I pretty well worked my way through college playing for weddings, uh, funerals, um, parties, um, you know, all kinds of things, anything to keep from giving little kids lessons. That was the definite goal that I did not want. So anything to keep from doing that. And I was happy to do it. So that was good. After college, I, I thought I needed to go to work. Actually, I dropped out of college. I, I I got sick and tired of going to school and decided I was going to go to work. So I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I was going to do that. So uh, this is pretty funny, but I got a job as a um, as basically a rehabilitation teacher, and this was back before they required them to have a master's degree, but I got a job as a rehab teacher now the funny part of that is there are all kinds of parts of that job that were very natural for me the the teaching people the communications things Braille typing you know that was fine working people with people around things around doing their household tasks that was fine cooking was not fine. And I was like, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do about this. Cause I absolutely hate cooking. So I told my clients, I said, what I'm really going to help you do is work toward getting good jobs so that if you don't want to cook, you won't have to, <laughs> and you can, and we're going to teach you all to dial the phone so you can order out whenever you want, as long as you have the money to pay for it. And that was kind of my philosophy. And, um, we worked well and ultimately, um, Eventually, I came, over over time and over a number of jobs, I came to a place where for about a year, I managed the state's orientation training center. So I must have figured something out about rehab teaching. But I want to talk about my second job. So I'd done the rehab teaching job for a while, and it was great and everything. And I decided it was time for bigger and better. Um, my father and my last supervisor before I retired Um, I overheard them having a conversation and they said that, and they were talking to each other about me and they were talking about the fact that I was only good for about three years in any job. And then you needed to figure out something else for me to be doing. So um, that I got bored and then I got less productive. And they were just both talking about this, like this was something that my parents knew and my employers knew. And I was like, this is kind of scary to me. But as I looked over my career, I think it's absolutely the case. So there you go. Um, So so I did a lot of different things in my job and um, and I think in my jobs that I had over time because of that. But I had one. Failure, really big sort of failure event in my employment. It was my second job. And I was hired by um, the city to um, to work in a program of employment, um, which was going to be um, offered. And um, we were going to be finding jobs for people with disabilities. Um, it was the old CETA program. Some of you are old enough to remember CETA. And um, and it had a few evolutions after that. We called those sons of CETA. But anyway, in the CETA program, um, we had um, we had a, a manpower project where we um, had got people jobs in the private sector, and then we had a work experience project where we got people jobs in the public sector. And I found that I was really pretty good at doing that. But I had some other. Issues, some other work skills issues, and you've probably had in you know since you're all basically employers, you've you've probably experienced this, where you have this very promising kid, <laughs> it could be a maybe not a kid but very promising kid, who's with you, who's got all kinds of talents and skills, but isn't really using them. is is mostly um, being difficult in some way or other and just not really performing in the way that you want and um, and just not getting it, just not getting it. And that was really me. And I have no idea really why I, I think, I mean, looking back on it, I think there were some contributors that, that there were, but really who knows. So anyway, um, the bottom line was that I was, well, short and simple, I was fired. Um, I mean, they, they dressed it up a little better than that, but honestly, that's what they did. And um, I, I really relate to when this happens to someone because this was not what I had in mind. <laughs> um, and I actually understood it. I actually understood why they were letting me go, which, you know, sometimes we wonder if people do, and I think they often don't, but I did. But I didn't know what I could do about it because, you know, my personality was just kind of what it was i thought and i i didn't know if i could channel it differently or if i wanted to channel it differently but i didn't want to have my career end at the ripe old age of 23 <laughs> I mean, you know, some people do, I guess, but I really didn't. I had aspirations to go on. I mean, how was I going to be the something? How was I going to be king if I, you know, was knocked out of the castle at age 23? So um I I think one of the things that, that really made a difference for me in that was having someone who was there who was very, very straight with me about what was wrong, what I needed to do about it, what I could do about it, and said, I believe you can, and said, I believe you will, and said, when you are ready, and you'll know when you are, based on the conversation we've had, that when you are ready to go for that next job interview, Put me down as your reference. Now, this was a person higher than my supervisor, so you could. It wasn't like you were just sort of picking across the aisle somewhere. Put me down as your reference because I'm going to tell them what I think you can do and what they'll need to do to make that happen. Because, you know, she said, basically, yes, we have to fire you, but it's not all you. It's that, you know... you you do think in sort of a different way and and we and we're not ready for it but you can adjust and we can adjust and you will do well. So it took me a little while to get up the courage to apply for a job that I thought I could get because you know now you have this mark on your on your agenda and how are you gonna do this. But she had said Put me down as your reference. I will you know, not lie for you or whatever, but I will definitely give you the reference that you need to get the right job. But she said, I oh, want you to get the wrong one. So I'm going to be pretty candid with them about it. So um, finally, one came and I bravely went to it. And you know, you have to fill out all the application. You have to say what happened to your last job. I wanted to say well I I couldn't find it anymore. <laughs> I lost it. Um, no, I I actually was really honest. They 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 terminated me. So I said no they did. Um but I've I've learned a lot from that and I suppose every person who's been terminated ever says that but I did. I'm not going to say it's all their fault. And here's the person to talk to. So I think one of the things that really um, made a difference for me in turning it around and actually becoming a person who could, you know, who could be successful um, at various things, both in employment and um, and and personally, was was the fact that somebody um, did did that kind of backstaging activity to kind of help me understand. Um, you know, what I needed to do, how it, how it needed to be different and what I could do. So, um, I, as I think about when we're mentoring people, it's not just, giving them leadership classes or whatever, and a lot of rhetoric, right? I mean, you know, that some of that stuff is really, really useful. I think I went to, in the in my 42 years of employment with the state of Washington, I think I went to three trainings that made a difference in my life. <laughs> you know, three out of 42 years, right? But I did, I, I think the three I went to... Um, really did make a difference. And so it, it's not just about doing that. It's really about um, giving people um, the tools and giving people your time and, and energy and believing in them. And as I said, being straight with them, not just pushing that off. Because I got very, 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 um, um, uh, very, very um, specific information that that made a really big difference for me. So I appreciated that. I think um, some other things that really sort of shaped uh, my life, some opportunities that that I had. This was not about a failure, but it was certainly about a um, an event that that shaped the way I think and the way I um, operate and and do things. Um, I had the experience, um, and and it's one that everyone doesn't get and shouldn't get, but if you do get it, um, take it and take it with grace. Um, I had the experience of assisting my, uh, my best friend, um, had been a friend since, well, for probably about um, 30, over 30 years by the time she became ill my best friend, and who had, who had also been my housemate for about 20 of those years, uh, my best friend um, developed brain cancer and um, needed to be taken care of. And so um, um, I took on that task and had her in my home for three years and went through the process, the whole process of all the chemo, the radiation, all the stuff, the hospice, the the all of it. And um, and that was very interesting because as a blind person, you know, there were there were various barriers around that. Um, you know, that was when I first learned that it, you know, it's not easy to get um accessibly labeled medications. I had never needed any for myself. I only take a couple things. They're pretty obvious to me. I've been taking the same things forever and Uh, you know, they don't need to be labeled, I think. But I'll tell you what, when you start somebody on billions of cancer drugs, (laughs) and the way I explain this is that they're shipped to you, you can't buy them over the counter, you have to get them shipped. So they're all shipped in the same kind of container. So like when I go to the drugstore, I, you know, pharmacy, I often will ask them to if I, I have accessible labeling now, but if I didn't have that, I would ask them to package some of them up a little bit differently. And they would. It was no big deal. I could remember. But when we were doing 30 or 40 different drugs, and they all come in the mail, and they all come in the same kind of container, and I always say that the oxycotton comes in the same container as the stool softener does, that's a problem. <laughs> that is a problem. And so, and so I think kind of learning... How to how to pace, how to set expectations, how to manage um, a lot of different things going on at once. I was still employed full time because this was in the early two thousands. We there wasn't a lot of teleworking. Um, you know, everybody teleworked lately, right? And so you know, we got used to that, but. But in those days, people didn't telework. So when I asked to telework, that was quite an eyebrows razor and uh, involved actually changing my job tasks some because uh, there were some things I was doing that we at least didn't perceive in those days uh, could be done via telework. Interestingly enough, the person who is in my job these days – is did all those things with telework, but we didn't know that then, you know, we didn't know how to do that. So <clears throat> all those things happened. And, um, and I spent some time doing, taking care of her and going through that process and um, learning how to do a lot of, you know, interesting medical things that I, I didn't necessarily think I could do, but I think you, um, I think if you decide that you um that these are things that need to be done and these are things that need to be done by you right now. Um, you know, you, you can. And so I think, um, I, I think that that's been, um, really, um, a useful thing for me. And I just, you know, don't know what else to say about it, but, um, it's been a very, very difficult, um, situation. And, uh, and, and I, we, we, you know, unfortunately it didn't come to the best ending. My, my friend did pass away as would be expected, but, um, but for me, it was a huge, it was a huge learning experience. And I think in some ways it was sort of the growing up experience for me um, that I just had never, you know, really expected. Uh, so I I went through a lot of different cycles in my career. Um, you know, as far as my work is concerned, um, and, and and those were all you know mostly good experiences after my manpower problem, <laughs> but um, but the rest of them were good. And I retired about four years ago from the University of Washington, where I held a pretty nice position. It was it was um, a, a lot of variety. Um, I managed the deaf blind equipment program for the state. I managed um, um, a number of other activities, and um, and they worked they worked really pretty well for me. In terms of my sort of political life, um, you know, here in ACB, I I um, have been, I was on the Board of Publications um, I was selected as a leadership fellow in 2016 and uh, ran for the Board of Publications and then last year ran for first vice president, um, just kind of because I, I don't necessarily do things in order. So, you know, I I, I thought, how now, you know, I said, I, I want to start at um, I want to start at treasurer because I'd been the treasurer in the state affiliate a number of times. And I said, I want to be the treasurer and then I want to work my way up. And somebody said, Well, you know, we've been looking at the actuarial table, and you can't do that. You aren't going to be here long enough to do it that way. You'll have to start farther up. So I said, okay, well then, all right. Um, My first foray into that sort of thing was um, in high school, I decided to run for student body vice president. Now, I don't know whether that's about low self-esteem or doing what you think you can get, but... Anyway, I wasn't going to run for president. That looked too awesome, but I can run for vice president because nobody seems to know what they do. So I, I should be able to meet that expectation pretty well. So um, I ran for vice president and I got it. And I got it because of a great strategy that we came up with. I, I was in a school that was uh, it was a regular public school, but I was in a school where they had been um, uh, bringing kids They they built a new school, and they were bringing kids to it. There weren't enough kids where that school was. So my first year in the school, it was grades 7 to 10, and I was in the 10th grade. And my second year in the school, it was grades 7 to 11. And then my senior year, it was grades 10 to 12 and went on that way after that. But in my second year, my junior year, that was the year that I was running for the vice president. And I didn't think that I would be able to get the popular vote of the juniors of my actual class because I wasn't, I was kind of a nobody. I was an academic nerd, but I wasn't really, you know, socially with it. But I thought I might be able to appeal to the seventh and eighth grade class. So it's like go to the minority group and see what we can do. And um, and so that worked, and it worked overwhelmingly. So I was elected by a, a very surprising landslide—not the least surprising to me, but but uh, surprising to other people. Well, so I'm I'm doing this. This is good, you know. It, it's, a, it's kind of undefined job in high school, and I think I can do it. It's going to be great. We weren't planning on what happened next, which is that the president. Was expelled. Oh no. <laughs> oh yes. Little, 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 little. Uh, smoking in the field behind the school or something. I can't remember. Anyway, he, he, they nailed him, and he wasn't expelled forever. But he, but the, but one of the situations of the expulsion is that if you had anything like that on your record, you couldn't be a student body officer. So, guess who became president of the student body? <laughs> yes. So, now this was really tough. I have to say that this was not a good experience for me, but it taught me a lot. And I, and if you do learn a lot, then that's good. So, um, it was not a good experience, though. I had a very, very, very tough time with the fact that um, uh, there was a lot of difficulties with this. Um, There were, um, the school board people didn't want the blind person being the representative of the student body anywhere. So it was a battle for everything that I was doing and wanted to do. And it wasn't fun, you know? Um, and so it was like, it was not something I wanted to repeat. So in my senior year when I could have actually run again, um, I I did not choose to run for anything because it just was not, you know, working for me. But I did learn a whole lot about sort of what my breaking points were and what, what I could negotiate and what I couldn't. And that was useful, I think, along the lines as we went along. So I guess those are the, the primary things that I, you know, think about in terms of sharing. Um, I, 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 Uh, Have enjoyed working with ACB. I'm very involved with ACB media. I'm very involved with uh, the convention planning and some of those things. And I think my strengths are somewhat administrative, um, consistent with my employment. And so I have um, tried to be helpful in those areas. Um, I have some other activities, believe it or not. I'm a chair of the State Human Rights Commission. And, um, and I'm part of the Guide Dogs for the Blind um, Alumni Association Board. So um, a few other activities, but ACB takes up most of my retirement time. In fact, I think some days my days are much longer than when I was working. So um, these sure are, these convention days. So um, at any rate, I want to thank you for having me and... Um, I guess if there's any quick question that anyone wants to ask me about anything in the world, um, I'm totally open for that. Um, but otherwise, I thank you very much.
1: Um, my question is: uh, Were you always blind, or um, did that happen later?
2: No, I've always I've always been blind. I had actually until pretty recently. Um, what i would call better than light perception um, i i could actually um, track um, outlines of things pretty well and could like traveling could see the grass line and things um, <clears throat> i have um, developed um, cataracts as an adult and they're Um, They had planned to operate on them. They thought they would probably be able to restore the vision that I had, at least in one eye. Um, But unfortunately, um, they can't get a lens that fits me. And they've tried and tried and tried, and they can't. So um, they've decided to declare them inoperable. Um, so that was kind of a disappointment to me because although I've always operated as a blind person, I'm a cane traveler, dog traveler, and I read Braille and, um, all of that. I I didn't really realize, and, and I know that people experience this all the time as they're losing their vision, but I didn't really realize how much I used what I had till it was not there and so um, that's been a real adjustment. In fact, this is my first really big trip since losing it, and um, and it, like I said, I I um, I didn't really realize how significant it was um, until until I didn't have it because I've never really even thought of myself as being low vision, but I think I was. Yeah.
0: Hey Deb, this is Nathan Brand.
2: Hey Nathan.
0: So, from one musician to another, uh huh. Want to hear you play sometime?
2: <laughs> I don't play much anymore. I don't actually have a keyboard. When we moved, um, one of the things that we couldn't bring—I had a full grand piano. Yeah, nice. Um, and I couldn't bring it. We we didn't have well, room. Well, we gotta find a
0: piano in the house. Here's yeah, there I you go. go, go. Um, but
2: there I is? I used to play. Now, for and twenty nineteen was the last time I. No, 2018, because there, something went wrong about it in 2019. But uh-huh. 2018 was the last time I did this. But I used to do one of the morning, you know, the before general session, oh, one I of the days, that, one I... of the days every year. Um, so I used to do that. And I used to play tons. I mean, you know, I like uh-huh. I said, I made a, a pretty full college style living playing various wherevers. Um, and, and it was great. But, you know, I... I kind of got away from that, and I haven't done that in a while. Shame on you! Yeah, you well, that's what my mother would say. Yeah, <laughs> that's what my, yeah, that's what my mom would say. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you all. It's been a great time to be with, you and um, just really glad to spend a little time with you and there. And I hope it's you know useful or encouraging or entertaining or something. Yeah, thanks.
0: Close to that. It's very good. Thank you very much we would like to announce the vendor of the year and the vendor of the year for this year is from the great state of Texas, Jerry house. So let's, let's give Jerry a hand here, even though he's not here. Okay. The Jennings Randolph award goes to, this name may ring familiar for some of you, Tommy Venable. And the Don Cameron award we are going to be handing out to Randall Crosby. So let's give Randall a hand as well. The president's award for the Randall Shepherd council is Rick Saranson. No,
1: no. Rex
0: Ransom. I'm sorry. Rex Ransom. Okay. Well, I think we have another door prize to give away. Okay. So for this, Uh, door prize I was thinking about sagebrush because that's my favorite thing and I'm going to put in a plug February 6th through the 10th 2023 hope to see you all in Las Vegas Nevada and in February warm Las Vegas Nevada which is more important than anything (laughs) so uh, one thing I can say is that we uh, we are planning on having our USBGA uh, golf expo uh, the last on that Friday so Uh, be prepared to maybe hit the links and, and uh, try putting a golf club in your hand. But uh, certainly we're always looking for new ideas for different presentations. So we're as a committee, we're always uh, have an open ear. So be sure to put that on your calendar and thinking of sagebrush. I'm going to do an audience poll here for our last door prize. Who has been to the most sagebrushes? Is anybody, has anybody been here for more than 10 years going to Sagebrush? Okay. How about 15 years? 20? Oh, Dan. Okay. Dan Simple is our second winner.
2: So how many is it,
1: Dan?
0: How many total, Dan? Since
1: 1999. Okay. 20. Yeah, that's pretty 20. impressive. All right. Okay, so that one goes to Dan. Dan, I really beat you. I've been 40 of them, but I didn't count myself right. since I'm on the team. <laughs> Thank you. I want to make a few announcements for the rest of the convention. Um, make sure you all come tonight to our comedian. And then after that, we have karaoke and we want to hear all of you singing loudly. Um, and then also then don't forget our casino trip tomorrow night so if you guys haven't signed up please do we'd love to see you come on all of our events and uh uh really i agree with us with uh scott we really want your ideas for sagebrush because it doesn't go well, unless we have lots of ideas, topics, speakers, if you have anything, you are the ones that drive the agenda. So, here, back to you, Scott.
0: Okay. Well, uh, artists, do we know what room tonight the festivities are in? Yes,
1: it's in the uh, uh, the
0: Grand A Ballroom. Grand A Ballroom. Okay. So, now you know where to head tonight. And uh, I was going to say with this comedian, he's paid to tell his jokes. So his may be a level above mine, I hope. So So anyway, thank you all for joining us. Uh, thank you, Deb, for being with us today. It was a fantastic presentation. And i be looking forward to seeing you all tonight. And let's have some fun. All right.